Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Welcome to Move Your Mind. My name's Nick Brax, and this is a podcast where we have real conversations with real people and give real advice. Managing addiction will take you on a journey of self-discovery and requires unwavering commitment. It demands the strength to confront your demons, the humility to seek help, and the resilience to endure setbacks. It's a relentless battle against the allure of instant gratification requiring the cultivation of healthy daily habits and coping mechanisms. Managing addiction is about rewiring your mind, forging new connections, and finding solace in the support of loved ones and your community. It's a daily commitment to progress, acknowledging that recovery is not linear, but filled with ups and downs. Today's guest shares his personal journey of battling a 20-year pornography addiction. He discusses the detrimental effects such as difficulties in forming relationships, shame, erectile dysfunction, and isolation, while highlighting the importance of taking personal responsibility and seeking support from your community to overcome addiction. Fitness and bodybuilding has been a huge part of the process in maintaining his mindset while overcoming addiction. Frank Rich is an online fitness entrepreneur, certified trainer, nutrition coach, and bodybuilder. He has close to two decades of training experience, and has helped thousands of men around the world build muscle, lose fat, and transform their lives. Frank has dedicated himself to helping 100,000 men improve their physique. Frank, thanks so much, mate, for making the time. Yeah, absolutely, brother. Uh, we are here today, and that, uh, that's what matters most. So uh, grateful for the uh, opportunity here today and looking forward to uh, our conversation. Absolutely, mate. And how have you been? How's the week been? How's, how's life at the moment? Life is great, brother. Uh, we are in the process of launching a new community within our coaching company, which has been great this week. Somewhat of a soft launch, uh, but the traction has been picked up really, really well. The guys are loving it. Um, personal side, it's just, you know, chugging away, just, you know, prioritizing life and health and, you know, business and impact and service. Uh, playing a men's softball league. We had, uh, we had two games last night. My feet are feeling it a little bit today. Uh, I usually am a fan of, I wear a lot of barefoot style shoes. So I'm like a Bevo, right. uh, zero shoes kind of guy. And when I'm not in barefoot, I'm usually in Crocs. Uh, so playing two games last night of softball with super tight cleats. I don't know for whatever reason my toes are feeling it today. So uh, yeah, <laughs> that's a life update there for you. Kind of, <laughs> kind of random, kind of random fact about Frank is he's got his toes are bothering him right now. Yeah. Well, there you go. That's, that's the kind of things that are interesting <laughs> to hear, mate. But um, yeah. Peter, used to it. So I guess for, for our, um, for our listeners, can you, before we get into it, can you just give a bit of a background on yourself, um, and what you do now and how you came to be doing what you're doing? Yeah, absolutely, man. Uh, you know, I think the, the quick, you know, elevator pitch of, of, of my bio, you know, what I like to say is, you know, I'm a former bodybuilder, uh, current entrepreneur, men's health and fitness lifestyle coach. I host a podcast called the Superman life, uh, where a podcast mission is to help men level up in the five key areas of his life. I've defined those as his faith, 
his fitness, his finances, his family, and his freedom uh, so that he can break through any limiting barriers, any glass ceilings, and go on to create the life that he was designed to live. So that's what we do with our podcast. Uh, I run a men's coaching organization and company called Rebuilt Recovery, uh, where we help men become better men by quitting porn and rebuilding their lives. So you know, the genesis of that, uh, which is the bulk of what I do, that's really uh, where I feel my lasting impact is going to be. And that probably takes up, you know, 80% of my professional focus is on helping men overcome pornography addiction. But uh, that all started with my own, you know, journey first, you know, I'd be willing to answer any questions in and in, in, in around that story. But, uh, you know, overcame, uh, you know, about a 20 year porn addiction back in early 2019 really felt it changed my life in many, many ways, uh, changed the way I saw people, changed the way I felt connected uh, to other people. And I kind of felt a call uh, to start with launching the podcast. So that came in July of 2019. Podcast had some very early success. Apple, you know, picked us up, threw us on their first page, new and noteworthy. It kind of got us some early traction uh, with the show. And then about six or seven months into leading the conversations with the podcast, uh, the coaching company was kind of birthed out of that. It wasn't something I had initially set out to do. You know, um, I have a background in uh, online marketing, backend uh, business building, entrepreneurship. I've been, you know, building different companies for about a decade now. Um, also, I have a health and fitness background as a personal trainer and online coach. Uh, so everything kind of came together in early 2020. This is kind of pre-pandemic, late January of of, of that year. Um, on a whim and kind of just a leap of faith, I uh, took on a handful of clients um, with the hope to be able to figure out how I could help them overcome their uh, addiction because I, I had, like I said, seen a lot of success in my own life and how it was changing things for me. Um, and that was the beginning of really what I've been doing for the last three years now, which is, you know, like I said, primarily focusing on the content side of things, you know, conversations like this, have a uh, Massive YouTube channel. I'm going to say massive. It's, you know, we just hit 10K a few months ago. Uh, but there was a lot of content put in, put into that. We did a video a day for over two, two plus years. So yeah, a lot of education, wow. a lot of content, uh, a lot of coaching. Um, and just, you know, trying to say I try to make the world a better place, one broken man at a time. So that's kind of my focus on a daily basis. I love that. I mean, such an interesting story, just hearing even that overview and, uh, I, I love that you're focusing on men and, you know, that I'm sure, well, I'm interested to hear, you know, more, explore more about this, but I'm sure what you're talking about there, specifically trying to help men overcome porn, porn addiction, I'm sure this is something that's probably still seen as taboo. People don't talk about it a lot. A lot of people, it's so normalized in society. People don't even think of it as being necessarily a problem and, it's really, you know, in that same category as things like alcohol, you know, people going and binge drinking on the weekend, it becomes normalized. It's part of how we live our lives. That's just how you, you know, let your hair down. But at the end of the day, it's actually there because it's replacing some deeper thing that you're not addressing. Um, I guess so many questions around this, but how big of an issue is it across the board when it comes to men with, with porn and uh, what are some of the strategies you're using to help people get past that? Yeah. Yeah. It's a, that's a big question, Nick. I think, uh, to have clear data and statistics on something like a porn addiction, I think for one, we might be too early in the understanding of what's happening to get real clear data 
and you mentioned it, it's still got that taboo kind of shame component attached to it. So even in the gathering of any type of data or numbers like that, Joey's going to have that human component where if you polled a group of men, how many of the, how many of them would be willing and open to actually share what's, what's going on behind the mm. scenes? You know, I've, I've looked at some different data. I've, you know, obviously have, 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 have pulled some of the statistics out there. Uh, you know, different reports and different things will tell you on average, about 70% of men, uh, will admit to regular porn consumption, you know, regular porn consumption being within the last handful of weeks or at least mm-hmm. on a monthly kind of frequent basis. So that's the consumption side of things. You know, you say, mm-hmm. you know, three out of every four men that, that, that you meet have seen it within the last 30 days. Um, now you mentioned, you know, the, the addiction, I think that adds a, a, a different component to it. Mm. You use the example there with, with alcohol. Um, I think that there are some similarities, but I think the difference comes in if you've identified that you have a problem with alcohol and you begin to try to pursue sobriety or freedom from that. Mm. When you tell people about that, nobody's going to look at you like you're doing something weird. Um, Mm. they're going to support you for the most time. Yeah, brother, go do you, man, improve your life. Um, the problem with pornography addiction is, is I think we're still so early in the understanding of what it's doing to the brain, uh, mm. that that challenge is there for people, number one, to willing, even willingly accept that it is an addiction. Uh, this presents a problem, you know, for a lot of people, you know, if you wanted to kind of look at it clinically, uh, there's a book known as the DSM five, which is kind of like a clinical reference guide for all of addiction all behavioral, all substance addiction is all going to be uh, discussed and referenced within this book. Uh, you have things like gambling addiction, you have video game addiction within the DSM-5. Pornography addiction is nowhere to be found. Um, so there's a lot of pushback, even sometimes, you know, when I first got started, like I'm immune to it now. If somebody wants to have a conversation around it's pornography addiction really a thing, I'd gladly accept it. When I was first getting started, though, like people would push back, like there's no such thing, right? Um, <laughs> So I, I was able to get the Stanford's head of addiction onto my podcast, Dr. Anna Lemke. Over 20 years has been studying it both clinically um, and there's a lot of research and also works in the field with patients. Uh, she's a clinical psych- psychiatrist. I asked her what the definition in her terms or her eyes of addiction is. Uh, just in general, not sp- speaking specifically to pornography addiction, but I think if you can define addiction clearly, you can then under that umbrella see how pornography addiction can be a real thing. So according to Dr. Anna Lemke, once again, the author of Dopamine Nation and the head of Stanford's addiction department, she defines it as addiction is the continued or repeated use of substance and or behavior despite negative consequences to self and or mm-hmm. others. So if you're repeating the use of consuming pornography and it's having negative impact on your health, on your mental health, on your relationships, on your finances, because you're spending more time at work watching porn than you are actually doing your job, those are negative consequences. And the minute that there's something negative that is in, that is a byproduct of your use or consumption, you can't stop it. So it's the continued or repeated use then you have an addiction, right? So I think that, that kind of gives you like a context and mm-hmm. framework to say, okay, yeah, how can this actually show up in, in people's lives? Yes. Another question I think around like, what are some of the effects that, that guys are experiencing or, or feeling, um, you know, lack of intimacy, loss of connection with others, I think is one of the biggest ones. Uh, mm-hmm. when you watch pornography, the part of your brain that's literally is being activated and highlighted 
is a part that associates with objects. So I have a water bottle sitting on my desk right here. Like if I were going to go like pick it up, like the process from brain activation to hand, like it happens instantaneously, but mm -hmm. there's a firing mechanism, right? My brain needs to see this as an object in order for my hand to be able to pick it up. Well, when I'm talking to a human being, the part of the brain that's activates and, and lights up shouldn't be the part that's associated with objects. It should be the part that's associated with human uh, connection, relationship, intimacy, whole different section and area within the brain. But when I watch pornography, I'm training my brain and I'm conditioning it that human being equals objects. And then yeah. when we're in real intimate situations, because we've trained ourselves to look at people as objects, this is where the word objectification comes in, where you look at a woman and the first thing you instantly do is think about it as a sexual object. Um, that's, that's a byproduct of that. So one of the things we really f hear from the men that we work with is like, they just struggle creating real relationships with women and men. Like it just doesn't impact your relationships with women. Yeah. And I think also by, uh, also what leads into that is most men that are struggling with pornography addiction, whether or not a book tells them that there's a pornography addiction referencing the DSM five, they know that there's, there's something that they're doing that they're not fully happy and satisfied with and a lot of these guys have said hey this is the last time i'm doing this they feel shameful right and i think when you live and operate from a place of shame you're unable to give yourself whole holy to somebody like you know there's this big buzzword like in the yeah. uh in the self-development space like your true authentic self right you know everybody wants to throw this around i'm gonna be my true authentic self today your true authentic self is the whole version of you every single part of your being, your darkest secrets, uh, and the things that light you up the most. Well, if every place I walk around, I'm worried about what happens if so-and-so finds out about what I do when I'm alone and by myself. I'm living in this shame. I'm never able to fully be my true, authentic self. And if I can't be who God created me to be, there's no way that a person's ever going to fully be able to accept me. And they're probably not going to give me who they are fully as well. So I know I'm talking a lot about the, the relationship mm. and, and, and intimacy, but I do think that's one of the biggest areas that it impacts. We can get into, you know, how it hijacks the dopamine reward center, um, how it really impairs a lot of these younger men from pursuing deep, meaningful goals. It kind of puts you in this pleasure-seeking state all the time. But a lot of it is guilt, shame, elect, uh, 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 erectile dysfunction is a byproduct as well. So, yeah. I'm rambling now, so I will stop there, mm. Nick, and uh, let you let you kind of chew on any of that, and we'll, we'll go from there. Hey, guys, if you're enjoying this podcast, please click the subscribe button, leave a like or comment, share with your friends, and follow me on Instagram at Nick Brax. I really appreciate your ongoing support. No, I love the rambling. It's actually fascinating, mate. Mm. Right? Um, there's so many, obviously, so many levels to this, and, yeah, I think it's amazing what you're talking about, and I'm learning just he hearing this. Um, so yeah, so many things I would, you know, like to explore. And I guess also interested to hear, you said you came out of, you know, a 20 year, um, addiction or 20 year sort of reliance on it. Um, are you happy to sort of talk a bit about what that experience was for you, what the side effects were, what, how it, you know, how it impacted your life and, and how you did actually come through it? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, man. You know, I say, I say 20 year addiction. I, I, I doubt that I was like truly addicted for 20, 20 plus years, but that was a time mm -hmm. frame for maybe when I first saw it, you know, at a very young age as a, as a, as a young boy, six, seven years old to the time I, you know, was finally able to really break it, uh, and get free, which was around the age of 36. But 
it got really bad, Nick, you know, for me, probably around 2016, 2017, 2018. So, you know, I don't really think it's important to talk about high school and because even yeah. back then, like it wasn't the internet, man. It, you know, what really has made this a major issue has been the dawn and rise of the streaming internet that we have here today. I mean, 30% of all, all, you know, internet searches are for pornographic images, you know, roughly 20% of all wow. of the information on the internet is pornographic images. It's literally been a leader in really bringing new technologies to the forefront. The internet, 3D, virtual reality, and we're seeing it in AI as well. Like it really, for one, it, it helps kind of lead the revolution, right? From, from the technology side of things. Uh, but then it's also, it's a, it's a destructive force because like I said, there's you know millions upon millions of hours of content readily available, you know, for the cost of zero. So, mm. you know, for me, it got, it got bad, uh, you know, in the, the mid teens, you know, 2013, 14, 15, 16, when I was in my early to mid thirties, I was running a somewhat successful online business from home, uh, had a lot of spare time, had a lot of free time, just readily available to do whatever I wanted to, I guess, you know? Um, so it got bad then right and i you know i think you know i would talk about what are you know what were some of the impacts it it, it had on me the negative effects that i shared with you right you know um inability to really create deep meaningful connections i never struggled to have friends uh but there was kind of surface level like it was never on a deep intimate level like i would never sit down and have a conversation like what we're having here today prior to being free because i was so worried about what others thought about me because of what i did in my private and in alone time um, I was a very healthy, uh, young man. Though. I was a competitive, uh, bodybuilding athlete, uh, was a health and, you know, fitness trainer. Um, what was a wake up call for me be because of that, because being healthy and struggling with erectile dysfunction in my early thirties, mm. like, that was a major kind of like, what's going on here, Frank? Like you shouldn't be, um, struggling like this to sexually perform. So that was a major, major wake up call. Um, and then in late 2018, like it had gotten kind of so dark and bad that I kind of turned to a bottle, uh, and really started drinking a lot to kind of run mm. from some of the emotions, um, and just shame that I was, that I was dealing with, uh, early 2019, you know, it was just here. It's kind of like change transforming events coming to my faith was, was a big part for me. Um, so I didn't really have any kind of religious upbringing or background. I kind of just did whatever I wanted to do for a very, very long time. Was always seeking though for more, um, and then giving my life to Christ at the end of 2018 was a real big catalyst, um, and that and that kind of started me down this this path. But you know, I wrote a book called The Seven Step Guide to Living Life Without Porn, where I talk about the need for uh, accepting and taking responsibility for for who you are and what you've done, but also being the one that's going to ultimately change it. I think a lot of people not just with addiction. I just think with struggling in life in general, a lot of people are sitting around waiting for a savior. They think that somebody's going to, you know, fly in on a white horse with wings and rescue them from, you know, a situation that they've created for themselves. Like I was the one that created the mess that my life was in in 2018. I take full responsibility for financial losses, for relationship failures, for being addicted. It was all due to me. Uh, but I also knew that I was going to be the only one that, that was going to change it. So in the book, we talk a lot about the need for personal uh, responsibility. And then it's, you know, it's getting into a community, man. You know, um, there's this, you know, fancy saying in, in the recovery space that 
the opposite of addiction is not sobriety, but it's the community and connection that you build in your path to sobriety. Um, I never really knew what that meant until I started coaching and leading groups of men. Um, because I think at one level, when you're struggling with a pornography addiction, uh, you're struggling with some, some loneliness and, and some mm -hmm. isolation. And if you don't have people in your life that you're talking about, A, the struggles that you're facing just in everyday life and how you're processing and handling those difficulties, if you don't have that, then it just becomes a constant cycle of seeking the pornography out to fulfill the loneliness. And then the shame mm -hmm. creates more loneliness and then you seek it out. So this is the repetitive cycle. So a big part of, of what we do is just trying to provide a place for men to have real open, engaging, meaningful, growth-centric conversations. Yeah, you need to learn some self-control. You need to learn some discipline. You need to improve upon your willpower. You need to have maybe a better vision and aim for your life. You need to be working towards purpose and meaningful goals. So you're not chasing meaningless pleasure. You need to be living with a service-oriented heart. You need to be focusing on who are you reaching out, on having deep, meaningful conversations on a regular basis. Those are a lot of the tactics and strategies. I think it starts with, though, accepting where you are, taking responsibility that you're going to be the one that's going to change it. And then ultimately just getting a supportive community of strong-minded individuals around you. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think, you know, what, what you were touching on a number of times there about it's not going to just change automatically. There's no point in the future where this stuff's going to get better. It's not going to change when you become more successful. It is completely up to the individual to take that action. It's like saying, I hope that, you know, one day I'm going to magically get fit without going to the gym or I could maybe talk on the phone to a personal trainer. It'll all be better. You got to actually put the, put the work in and it's more important than ever that message because when it comes to, you know, anything, social media addiction, porn addiction, all the, you know, what you're talking about, this stuff is so accessible. Like you're saying that it is not going away. That's it's yeah. you know, probably only going to get worse in the short term anyway. So you have to take responsibility or it just won't get better. It's so important. Yeah, absolutely, man. And the problem comes like when you understand, you know, human psychology, human nature and behavior, it's like sometimes talking about it, like gives you the same dopamine hit as actually doing in the work. So it could create this false sense of reality mm. and accomplishment of everyday talking about, I'm going to be healthy, right? You know, like, <laughs> You see so many people, you know, early January, right? It's like this motivated, like, <laughs> I'm going to, you know, New Year's resolution. It's like, I'm excited. I'm talking about it. You know, at the end of the year, I'm excited. I'm talking about it. But you have to start doing the work is when it gets hard and, and difficult. And I think social media has created an environment where you can talk about all the things that you want to do and kind of get that positive reinforcement back. You can check in on things. You could, you, you know, you could talk about goals, missions, accomplishments, and people will like and reward uh, and comment on your stuff. And it makes you feel good. Like your brain literally responds like with a small little hit of dopamine. It's like, oh yeah, I'm doing something. I'm moving forward. But it like it, the hard work comes in like actually getting to the gym, actually like yeah. when you want to pick up a cookie saying no. So yeah, it, we live in a difficult world because it can be very easy, kind of the microwave society. You know, anything you want is kind of readily available at the push of a button. And a lot of times it's getting outside of the regular comfort and gratification of everyday life that's going to be the pathway to success from addiction recovery but really what are we talking about we're talking about transformational change like all hmm. the principles are our success if you're going to transform your life you have to get out of comfort 
of the life that you've created for yourself and begin to seek and do difficult and challenging things. Absolutely. Absolutely. And would you say, so when it comes to porn, is the goal for people to be 100% off it? Is it, it's not the kind of thing where to be healthy and, and, you know, really be able to have that intimacy and move forward and grow and have, you know, the right relationships. Is that, is that, is that the goal that they just completely removed or do you, you could think there's a middle ground where they can interact with it a little bit. I'm presuming the, the sort of goal is that you need to get a hundred percent off it. Not here to tell anybody what their individual goals are. Um, mm. I think that's a, I think that's a personal decision that people make and yep. what the relationship that they want to have with pornography is. Um, you know, I'll speak from it from, you know, worldview perspective that I have, um, yep. you know, I mentioned, you know, I'm a Christian. So, you know, I, I, I do try to live a Christ centric kingdom life, you know, so in terms of that, like pornography is out of the picture completely, uh, for me and many of the men that we, uh, lead and, and kind of the, you know, I guess who is attracted to my message. Um, I also, yep. Uh, just speaking, you know, kind of from a different side of understanding what goes on behind the scenes. Um, I'm not one of these people that think that's, you know, a woman that is in pornography is sexually empowered. Um, I think she's being exploited. Um, so I'm not one of these like female empowerments, go do you type, type of things. I think, mm -hmm. um, so, so knowing what goes Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. On behind the scenes, the exploitation, how a lot of these women are treated, um, and the ties of human trafficking. I'd love to see the entire industry completely shut down. Now, what I don't believe is I don't believe every person that watches pornography becomes addicted i think it's i think it's just like any addiction you can drink alcohol uh and not be an alcoholic you can if you feel you choose to participate in re recreational drug use and not really be a drug addict now i will tell you that um from like a overall like health optimization standpoint like i don't see any benefit is to having porn as as a part of your life um you know i've had a lot of guys that like maybe didn't struggle with addiction but once i started talking about some of the negative side effects they just reached out and said frank thank you we didn't realize like it was doing this mm -hmm. to our brain or it was doing this to our hormones or to our relationships so i think a lot of guys and you're even seeing like big influencers and stuff coming out now just like maybe that weren't really addicted but are just realizing the benefits of getting it out of their life now, guys that have addiction, their, I believe their goal should be complete removal of it. Because you wouldn't tell somebody that has struggled with alcohol addiction, yeah, just go try to manage it. Like drink once a week yeah. or, you know, somebody that struggles with drug addiction. Just try to manage it, you know, drink it once a week. Like if you clearly identify that for whatever reason, pornography has become your drug of choice and that's, and that's your vice, then yeah, I think it's got to be a 100% complete removal. And I think you'll you'll feel and experience the fruits of a decision like that quickly. Hey guys, if you're enjoying this podcast and want to learn more, I've released my first book, Move Your Mind, How to Build a Healthy Mindset for Life, where I talk about my own journey with mental health and share tips from experts on how to maintain a healthy mindset. You can buy the book on Amazon or through my website at nickbrax.com book. 
Absolutely. And, and, you know, it's reinforcing a, you know, cultural thing that especially men have been taught even before porn became a problem, which is just of this whole objectification mindset of women. And it's something that is so ingrained. And I see it in people close to me. I've had it myself that I've had to really work to break out of. And, you know, when you're a young man and you sort of, you're, you're conditioned to see it that way and think that way. And it's so tricky because you then you're dehumanizing people. You're not looking at it the right way. And I think it's almost impossible to have a long-term healthy relationship if you can't get past that thinking and you just, you know, you see it everywhere. The dating, the world of dating now, um, I've, I've spent a lot of time living in New York and seen through friends there, it's just chaotic and, you know, people are just being treated as, um, it, 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 it's just, you know, about the next thing. Okay. You know, you seem great, but what's next? I want something better. Let's move on. Let's move on. Let's get that new hit. So it's, yeah, it's. It's the whole thing. I think it's crazy. Yeah. Well, even if we, even if we zoom out, you know, 30,000 foot view of it, right, Nick, it's like, when are we using, like, when does a man go and run and use pornography? It's never at a point when like your life is like thriving. It's like, it's not after like, you just crush an amazing workout. You got that call from a client, you know, you close that big deal. It's like, everything is going perfect in your life. And you never think to yourself, damn, with everything going amazing right now, so now, now is the best time for me to go watch some pornography and kind of masturbate, right? And that's never the thought process. It's mm. always something that becomes an outlet when we're stressed, when we're anxious, when we're lonely, when we're tired, when we've been rejected. It's like we run from situations that are difficult mm-hmm. in our life, seeking instant gratification, a short-term reward. Well, yep. that's what we're using it for. Is that actually a good solution? Like, wouldn't it be better to learn real self-regulation management tools when you're tired, when you're stressed, when you're anxious, when you're rejected, like real developmental tools, like how to self-regulate auto, like control your autonomic nervous system, how to bring your heart rate down, how to better process your thoughts instead of running from stress. Let me spend some time processing this and, and figure out why I'm stressed instead of just masking it with a short-term hit of dopamine and, 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 and some pleasure. So if we could look at why are we using it in the first place, it's never when we're like thriving in life. I think that's a clear sign that, hey, maybe it's not a behavior that is actually conducive with our highest self. Yes. Yeah, for sure. And, and you know, you've talked about the dopamine hit and that comes from so many different things, social media, all of these quick fix habits that we form, like you're saying right there. What are, what are some ways we can become conscious of that and then take that step to start thinking bigger picture and in that moment when we're craving when we're struggling when we're lonely we're craving that hit how can we pull ourselves out and make a better decision yeah uh great question nick um dopamine is so dopamine is a chemical of motivation and reward um so if we understand what drives motivation and what contributes to reward we can then understand how we can actually be in control of the dopamine reward system. So motivation, like when we're, when we take small incremental steps towards bigger goals that we set outside of ourselves, like health and fitness goals. I've set a goal for whatever reason, I want to lose 15 pounds in the next 90 days. So I'm going to start tracking my calories. I'm going to start weighing myself daily. I'm going to take a progress picture. I'm going to get to the gym four days a week. So I created a bigger vision plan, right? So that's the goal of losing 15 pounds. 
I've then broken it down into small, actionable steps that I can take mm. daily, like measuring of the food, daily progress picture, weight. Every small step that I take and I acknowledge that I'm taking the step towards my goal, I will get a small hit of dopamine. Now, it'll be mm. small in comparison mm. to something like pornography. Now, if you want a hit that's going to compare to pornography, this is where things like ice baths, cold exposure will work, like, like short-term pain short-term pain will produce a longer term a reward on the other side that's the problem with dopamine is if dopamine is never mm -hmm. a bad thing it's getting large amounts of dopamine or large amounts of reward without previous work mm -hmm. like, there's no work involved in sitting down behind a screen like you remove the, the 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 pursuit of a woman you you remove the kind of back and forth game that you have to kind of participate in so if we compare it to like meeting a woman and then actually sleeping with her which i'm not advocating go pick a woman up on the street and sleep with her. But if we looked at like that behavior, right, there's going to be some motivation. I have to get up and go do this. I have to leave my house. I have to be motivated, hit of dopamine, right? I then have to engage in some difficult and challenging things to actually see a woman and get past my own fear to approach her. Once again, mm -hmm. bigger goal would be to meet and find a, a partner, small step taken. I'm actually going to overcome my fear and approach the girl. Now in that back and forth game, there's going to be kind of some back and forth dialogue that I have to play with her. If all of that leads us to ultimately getting intimate, then we've put in some work and then we get the reward. The problem with the dopamine that pornography comes is there's no preceding work. Yep. You know, you're an entrepreneur, you've, you've run some businesses. So it's like when you, when you launch a new product or when you launch a podcast, it's like you have months and months of creative work putting it up to it. And it's like all this difficult, challenging things like, God, I don't really want to have to send this email today. I don't have to record these show notes or whatever the case may be. But then you launch it, you put it out into the world. It's like you, you like that sense of accomplishment and feeling. That's yeah. there for us all the time. We just have to be willing to delay that gratification. And the longer that we can delay it, the bigger the reward is going to be. You work on something every day for five years, and then it comes to completion. Imagine how big that reward is going to be versus working on something for five seconds, and then it's going to be the short-term you know, pleasure. So... Yeah, we hack the rewards center by having clear visions and goals and then taking small, daily, difficult steps towards those. That's a really great way to explain it. And it's, you know, I think important, like you said there, for people to understand that moving away from those instant gratification sort of methods doesn't mean you're still not going to get that same sort of feeling, but you're just going to have to put in, like you said, the work. And then once you do go down that path, you'll start to, it'll reinforce that okay, I'm feeling empowered now. My confidence is going up. My self-esteem is going up. I'm seeing reward. I'm getting those good feelings that I used to get from the quick fix. But that's that's a tricky thing because you, once you're in that quick fix cycle, it's breaking out of it because you, it just keeps getting reinforced as you were talking about before. So no, I really, really yeah, love but, the way you explain that. Yeah, and through neuroplasticity, I mean, all that is trainable and moldable and we can become that person. That's, you know, that's literally what... Uh, the book growth mindset is about is about the process of training yourself of becoming the person that doesn't want to grow i think a lot of people think yeah i want to be better so i have a growth mindset well, no shit everybody wants to be better than they currently are it's like growth mindset is actually you enjoy the work of becoming yeah. better like you get the fulfillment you get the reward not at the end but in the daily doing and that's all trainable you know it's difficult and challenging at first, because you got to sit there, you know, uh, Stephen Pressfield writes about resistance in his book, uh, The War of Art. You know, 
like you got to sit there sometimes and it's like there's there's this like resistance radiating like penetrate like whatever the goal is going to be like i don't want to walk in the gym you kind of feel like a force field keeping you from going into the gym or like you're trying to write a book or you're trying to launch something like you're sitting in front of a blank screen you kind of feel this force radiating you can get past that resistance and learn to enjoy the work like you're saying like they talk about in the book growth growth mindset like that's where fulfillment and joy comes from is is in the process of doing the work that's why I like people that create great things right like you know like they build these big companies and then they sell it and then they go in and build the next thing it's like I've, I've had a couple of podcasts where it's like guys have sold companies and then they're sitting six months later, like on the beach, sipping a Mai Tai and they're miserable. Yet they got 20 million in the bank. And it's like, cause they're not doing the work because they, they've realized and they've trained and conditioned themselves. It's like in the act of doing like humans are meant to build. We're meant to create. We're meant to work. We're meant to do things. We're not meant to just sit around and seek meaningless, mindless pleasure and push buttons and have food delivered to our house and sit behind a screen and never see the sunlight and never do difficult and challenging things. It's not what we're here for. Yeah. And and what do you realize that it's so empowering? Because then, you know, we're trained to in in this society to look at how do I make more money? How do I get more status? How do I get to this end goal? And people are focusing only on that end goal, not really knowing if they really want it. They're just wanting the reward, the money, the status. And, you know, great, we should be ambitious and it's good to have more money. But at the end of the day, the thing that actually is making us feel good daily is having that purpose, putting in the work, Mm -hmm. achieving things daily. And once you understand that, it's empowering because then you can give yourself permission to enjoy life right now and enjoy every day, regardless of whether it's things go well or go badly externally. And then you you really become very you just become so stable and so grounded when you when you sit in that, um, and the opposite happens when you when you know you're relying on external things. A hundred percent, man. Um, so you just quickly, yeah, you were saying you used to be a bodybuilder as well. Um, what did did that just naturally come to an end? Um, yeah, when did you stop with that? Yeah, um, so I. You know, I was a competitive bodybuilder. I, you know, I still would say I'm a bodybuilder at at heart. You know, I uh, I wrote an interesting article uh, for my fitness company back in 2017 titled "Are You a Bodybuilder?" Where I pose pose the argument that anybody that uses nutrition and training to manipulate the way that their body looks uh, is, in essence, a bodybuilder. Right? Like that's like at, at, at the core definition of it. Like that's what it was. My competitive career, you know, was short lived, man. Um, I wasn't I wasn't born and blessed with true bodybuilding genetics. You know, I'm six foot three, uh, very long, uh, and, 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 and lanky. Um, you know, ideal kind of bodybuilding height is, you know, five eight to five eleven. Like those are kind of the like mm. the top guys in the world uh compete around that height. Um for me it was something that's kind of post high school sports. Uh, was something I could really kind of commit myself to. I love the training component. Uh, I just love pushing myself in the gym. So yeah, I competed eight, eight, nine years, um, you know, in the MPC, first starting out just in the bodybuilding heavyweight division. Um, this is, you know, this is 2008, 2009, 2010, 2011. Like this is before physique, classic physique. So all there really was back then was bodybuilding. Um, and I just wasn't willing to put my body through what it needed to do to be as big as I would have needed to be to compete mm. at the highest level. You know, I would have had to bend you know, 275, 280 on stage, which would have had a walking weight, you know, walking around weight well over 300 pounds 
Um, mm. And I just want to do that. I even knew back then like that would have you know really taken years off my life. So it was something I enjoyed doing as as a hobby. Um, I did a couple shows in the WBFF uh, in 2015, more of a male muscle model uh, division, just more of a kind of overall aesthetic look. Um, and then in 2016, I I ended with a few shows in the classic physique. Uh, my last show that year was the Florida State show, uh, which I placed fourth um, in the state. And, and that was kind of it, man. You know, it was mm. uh, nothing that was ever really a career in terms of monetizing it. Uh, it helped get my fitness company off of the ground. But yeah, just kind of, it, it kind of just, I don't know if it fizzled out or it ended. Um, you know, it was just something, like I said, I, I had to run. Mm. I got out mm. of it what I wanted to. I think it did a lot to shape me uh, into who I am today. I think a lot of it has helped in business and other aspects of my career. So yeah, very grateful for it. Um, you know, I used to be big into like the attending of the shows and the magazines. I don't really follow it a whole lot anymore, but, um, who knows, man, maybe, maybe one day I'll, I'll return back. I still love trading. Still a big part of my life. Yeah. And, and how important is training and exercise in your day-to-day life? And are there other things that you do daily to maintain your mental health and well-being absolutely man um it's huge man it's it's a rock uh you know it's 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 non-negotiable weights i'd say you know five still five you know days days per week um i'm still in the gym pushing Mm. hard you know go through go through phases where you know sometimes it's a little more intense uh if i'm trying to grow other times if i'm more focused on the business side of things i'll have to scale some of that back because it it obviously you know, it does have an overall impact, you know, uh, mm. if you're really, really training hard, but yeah, it's 100%, um, non-negotiable, you know, uh, at, 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 at the highest level. Um, other things, man, I'm big into, to reading, big into books, uh, big into, to podcasting, um, self, self-development, prayer, journaling, gratitude, you know, all the components, uh, that have helped in my recovery are still a part of my daily, uh, success routine. Love that. Love that. And yeah, same for me. I, I come from a competitive sporting background and exercise daily is non-negotiable and it's just, you know, made, makes the enormous difference. It's just, it's, it's amazing mm-hmm. how much, how, how much of an anchor it is to, to have that in your life. So I think, you know, having those kind of things, versions of that is, um, is so important. Um, uh, so we finish every episode with, yeah, five closing questions. These can be sort of quicker answers, whatever, whatever comes to mind. Um, the first one is, what's the best childhood memory that comes to mind for you? Ooh. <laughs> Just to throw you, put you on the spot here. My goodness. Best childhood, best childhood <laughs> memory. Or one My of the goodness. Um, or just a good one. Every time I've talked about my childhood on a podcast, it's always been in terms of like, framing the negative experiences and how it's like, so this one has completely thrown me like for a curveball here. Um, you know what, man? The opposite. Yeah. You know what, dude, I, this, this, for some reason, this is what's coming to mind, but I was asked about a year ago, Nick, who's been the most in, uh, impactful man on my life. Uh, and this was around the time I was coaching little league. So about a year ago, I started coaching my nephew's little league team. Uh, I was 11 and 12 year old boy. So he was 11. So we had a team of 11. 12 year old boys, man. And it was, and it truly was one of the most enjoyable things I've ever done in my entire life was getting to work with those younger boys that are going to one day become young men. So when I was asked this question on a podcast, who's been the most impactful man in my life, 
uh, immediately thought of my 12-year-old baseball coach, uh, Bob Hall. So to tie this together and bring a closure to this question, I would say the summer when I was 12 years old, uh, I got to spend almost every Saturday at Bob Hall's house, uh, who lived on the golf course. He was our Little League baseball coach, very successful lawyer, had a massive game room in his house, uh, pool in the backyard, lived on the golf course. It was just one of those summers where you look back and like, man, like if I could have, if I could have had that summer every, every summer in my childhood, like what an amazing time it would have been. So yeah, spending the summer with my coach Bob Hall when I was 12 years old. Love that. Love that. So, and it's so important, especially when you're younger to have those kind of mentor figures. So yeah, super important. Mm. Uh, what do you think is one of, or the biggest burden currently on mental health in society? Yeah. Wow. Um, I would say I just did a, I just did a podcast two days ago on the epidemic of victim mindset and victim mentality. And I would think that probably have to be right up there at the top, you know, um, we kind of touched on it briefly, how social media has created this, uh, culture and society where it's like, you can just go talk about what you want to do. It's also created a, a culture and society where it's almost like wildly accepted to be a victim. Um, and mm -hmm. I see it holds so many back some people. So I, so many people back from truly, you know, stepping into their own greatness is for whatever reason they want to accept that something that has happened in their life is going to be the reason as to why they can't do something. And they'll get reinforcements a lot of times through social media on that. So I would say right up there at the top, it's got to be just the epidemic of victim mentality spanning across the world. I think it's a huge one, mate. And yeah, every time you sort of sit in that mode and you complain or you say why, you know, this problem's come about because of all to everyone else's fault you're actually just damaging yourself. You're, you're hurting yourself and you're taking yourself mm -hmm. further away from making that step. Like you were saying earlier, if you talk about these yeah. things, you're getting that dopamine hit and then it, it sort of takes you away from actually taking action. So yeah, it's a big one. Yeah. Uh, what would you say is your personal definition of happiness? Cool. Um, alignment. And by alignment, I mean, is the person that I'm showing up as and living as every single day, the person that I actually believe myself to be. Yep. When you, love that. When you walk in alignment with who you see yourself as, I think that's, I think that's the recipe for happiness, success, fulfillment, joy, peace, all of the above. Like, am I actually who I believe myself to be? Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I, I love that. What are you most afraid of? It's a good question, Nick. Is there good? I like this <laughs> a lot. Uh, um, man, this is one I think about a lot, Nick. Uh, not being a father. Mm. Like, like, I you know I made I made the comment about victim mindset and victim mentality, and I think what I what I'm afraid of most. Uh, Truthfully, I'm sharing this completely vulnerable here. Uh, I wrestle with a lot is have some of the decisions and actions that I've made and taken in my life. Will those prevent me from doing and accomplishing what I want more now than anything in the world? So there's a part of my life in my early 30s that I believe I didn't want to have kids and that shaped a lot of the decisions that I made. Um, and now, you know, as I've getting closer to 40, uh, and I'm 
my life is completely different and I'm seeing a lot of things differently. What I want more than anything is to one day be a father. Um, and I think what I'm afraid of most, truthfully, Nick, like I'm glad mm. you asked this question, uh, is, is have I missed the opportunity? I don't, I don't think that's the case. I wrestle with a lot though. Uh, I truly, I truly do. Cause I do know it's, you know, I'm a 40, 40 year old man, but, uh, yeah, that's it, man. Like truthfully, not being a well, father one day. I appreciate the honesty there, mate. And from where I'm sitting anyway, you know, with my limited knowledge of your life, it sounds like you're probably closer than ever to that because of the work that you have done and are doing on yourself. So, you know, 40 is the new 30, so you got time. Uh, <laughs> no, I appreciate you sharing that. Um, so final question, what are you most proud of? See, I'm trying to, I'm trying to think here, right? Like, I just don't want to give these like candid answers where it's like, yeah, the things I've accomplished, the success, you know, any, any of that, like, yeah, I've done some, some cool things, man. I wrestle with pride and I, and, and sometimes I even struggle to say things that I'm proud about because I, I connect it too much to pride, but I think I'm, I'm mm. most proud about my relationship with Christ, truthfully, like, mm. uh, I only touch briefly on the impact that's, you know, my salvation has meant for me and, and knowing Christ and, and walking that part out of my life. But, um, knowing where I'm going to end up when all of this is said and done gives me some freedom to really navigate and do the things that I want to do on a daily basis. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm proud about, uh, knowing Christ. I'm proud about having, uh, uh, a guy that I call Lord on a, on a daily basis in a deep, meaningful relationship with him. So yeah, I think that's what I'm most proud of. Well, thank you for sharing that. And for all our, all of our listeners, we'll put this in the show notes, but where, where can they go if they want to learn more about the work you're doing? Yeah. Um, socially, you know, the best place to connect with me is on Instagram. You can find me at coach Frank rich. Uh, I mentioned we have a YouTube channel as well. It's also coach Frank rich. Check out the podcast. If you enjoy, you know, conversations just like this that's uh the superhuman life amazing mate well thank you so much for being so open i mean i've actually learned a huge amount i've found this fascinating talking to you i think what you're doing is incredible and men need this so keep up the amazing work and it's been great connecting with you mate so thanks again hey thanks nick i appreciate it bud thanks so much thanks to frank rich for joining me today for move your mind also a huge thank you to those of you listening i really appreciate your support if you'd like to learn more or connect with me personally, visit www.nickbrax.com or send me a DM on Instagram at nickbrax. Please don't forget to click the subscribe button, leave a like or comment, share with your friends and follow me on Instagram. It really makes a difference. Thank you so much.